0: Welcome back to the Intervert Whistle Podcast. This is episode number five. I'm Scott Bockhansom.
1: And I'm Adam Brick. And let me apologize for my mid-winter cough. And as many of you know, we are not a high-tech operation, and so we do not have a cough button. So please, bear with us.
0: So Adam, we're, we're right in the middle of the season here. We're at the heart of district play. A lot of the teams already know each other. There's a lot of rivalries that'll happen. And I think what we end up finding, and, and one of the things that I've seen lately is uh, I, I've had a chance to go out and watch some more games recently, and especially on video. Uh, you know, I'm out for a little bit with an injury, so it's freed up some of my time. and I I just look at some of the things that, that I think we could do better, and I don't know what you've seen out there, but I, I really um, thought maybe we could focus today's show on just some of the dumb things we do, and, and especially game management stuff.
1: Well, there's no question... Um I've seen a lot of smiles on a lot of coaches' faces lately because of the fact that you're not out on the court these days. So um, one of the things that we also have to pay particular attention to, as you mentioned, is it is the heart of district play. Um, The rivalries, the intensity of games are going up. And as officials, we need to step up our game as well. The teams practice and and play all season long, and they, they do what they can to get better each and every game, and we need to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, so I I wrote down a couple of things, you know, just some ideas. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about last week, one of our pet peeves, I think you mentioned, was just, you know, having a player get the ball. But I think just dumb stuff we do, you know, especially from a game management perspective, um, one of the things that drives me nuts, Adam, is a team's down by 30, and there's less than a minute to go, and we're calling three seconds or carrying or just some stupid call that has nothing to do with the game. We're interrupting it. The, the, people want to get out of the gym. We're, we're insulting the kids. It just, I don't know about you, but that, that one just drives me nuts.
1: I, I completely agree with you, Scott. One of the things that we need to do a better job of is situational awareness during games. The, the, the 32 minutes of a high school basketball game are not 75 different plays that we referee in a box. There are however many plays there are built upon each other. And so we have to take it in the context of the game from the time we walk out to start the game to the time the final buzzer goes off. And so, yes, in a, in a blowout game, are we going to pass on the travel that happens you know, 25 feet from the basket that really doesn't have an effect and we don't put air in the whistle? Yes, Um, but that doesn't mean that when the substitutes are in the game, we have to referee just as hard because those kids are getting an opportunity to play, and so we need to continue to call the fouls and protect the kids and do what's right for the game. Nothing will irritate a coach more who is losing by 25 and that we appear to not be hustling. We have to hustle more in a blowout than we do in a two-point game.
0: You know, and you, and you bring up communication with coaches and just some of the interactions that we have with, with coaches, I think we can learn a lot from. You know, I, I think there's opportunities for us uh, to be better at this across the board. Now, listen, I, I understand not everybody enjoys communicating. Not everybody's a great communicator. You know, sometimes it's not even, you know, having to say anything. It's just acknowledgement that they've they've been heard. But, you know, I've seen some things uh, and I've heard and I've received some information and, and emails. And, you know, we've we got to stop doing things like telling coaches to shut up or shut the F up, which we had in an instant recently. We, we need to really just focus on, you know, positive communication. I understand that sometimes it's hard to communicate in the heat of the moment, um, but we've got to stay above a certain level of, of expectation. And I think that there's a lot of times where we get challenged and we immediately go into defense mode. Um, We start, well, that's not my call. That's not my area. Um, You know, and I think that that sets the wrong tone because now the coach doesn't even know, well, you know, what are we actually paying attention to and what are we doing out there? So from my perspective, I think the way we communicate with coaches, you know, we just need to be better, stay above a certain level. Let's, Let's not get down into the basement level. And let's really try to enjoy each other, you know, in in the time that we have together. So,
1: yeah, Scott, I agree with that completely. Um, One of the things that I think will help crews is to understand that we work as a crew, whether it's two of us or three of us on the court and the crew chief or the referee on the crew uh, needs to take a leadership role when it comes to particularly those situations where we have miscommunications or need to communicate in a better way with coaches and the scorer's table. Uh, If you're the leader on a crew or one of the leaders on a crew, step up um, and quite honestly act like a leader. Make sure that we bring our common sense to the court. Um, Again, coaches, as you said, coaches aren't looking for dialogue all the time. They're just looking for the acknowledgement that we've heard what they had to say. And again, each of us has our own different levels of tolerance. If a coach begins to cross the line or gets close to the line, then warn him or her. Do it in a professional manner. And don't embarrass them. There's no need to make a big show of it. But let them know. Most of the times, they'll back off. But we don't have to do it, we, we don't have to do it with necessarily the official warning in the book because that boxes us into the next time we have to call a technical foul. And the same thing goes with communication with players. I think we've all seen lately uh, a video of an ACC game where an official turned his back on a captain of a team um, when the kid wanted to come talk to him. Again, I wasn't there. I don't know the particulars, but it sure doesn't look good. And I don't believe that that's a great way to handle uh, dealing with a player. If we have a problem with a player... There's two places you can go to. You can go to the team captain, or you can go to the coaching staff. And most of the time, the coaches will take care of any problem kid that they have on the team if we ask them or tell them what we're having, uh, what problem we're having with them.
0: Yeah, Adam, that's a good point. The uh, You said something a, a few weeks back about we need to learn how to talk with the players and not at the players. You know, if you start becoming, uh, you know, a boss and just bossing kids around or talking to them as an authoritarian figure as as opposed to just, you know, being the game official, um, I think you get a little bit less out of that situation. I think getting the kids involved and trying to help them with, you know, understanding certain things. If a kid comes up and, you know, says, hey, what did I do? Um, You know, look, every kid is going to raise his hand straight up and say, I didn't touch him, okay? Um, But I think it's okay for you if you see what he did wrong. You know, hey, I, I had you putting your arms down or I had, your arms were straight, you're right, but you walked into him. As an airborne shooter was there, you walked into the kid, which is what I got you for. Um, I think that we end up humanizing things a little bit better than, than what we've had in the past.
1: No question, Scott. And I'll give you an example. The other night I had the Woodson-Lake Braddock game, and there was an out-of-bounds call that I made on the sideline. Uh, in transition, Woodson was moving the ball up the court. And my angle, I had the offensive player tip the ball afterwards, was tipped by the defensive player. Um, I would say everybody at Woodson, even those that weren't at the game, thought I got the call wrong. And the player involved in the play a minute or so later said, Hey, ref, I never touched that ball. And I looked at him in the eye and I said, Hey, you know what? If you didn't touch the ball, then I screwed up and I'm sorry. Um, And he was accepting of that. We can admit when we potentially have made mistakes. Can I do that with every call in the game? No. But maybe I did screw up the call. That's not what I saw at the time. I've watched the tape, I still can't tell, but maybe I made the mistake, and that's okay. Um, and the question is, why did I make the mistake, and how do I avoid making it the next time?
0: <laughs> I just can't believe you admitted that you made a mistake. Um, but, you know, it happens. It happens. And I think, you know, Adam, that's the right way to handle things, and, and it's, it's, it's important, you know, if we can just, I guess we'll just close this loop with thinking that, you know, how would you act if it, you know, if you were in a different setting, you know, just because you have stripes on doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, treat the coaches or the kids anything, any differently. And, you know, a lot of times you're going to get more out of it, uh, by the way that you, you talk to them, you can get them on your side and you'll, you'll find that you'll be in a much better situation, uh, when we go from there. So, Um, anyway, that will close the loop on just some of the dumb stuff we do. And I think, you know, I'd like to focus maybe a little bit on some game management pieces. So we'll we'll get into that here a little bit.
1: This is everybody's fault but mine.
0: So You know, and kind of transitioning from, you know, just the dumb stuff we do into game management, you know, they they do kind of coincide a little bit. One of the things that that I, I don't know about you, Adam, but it drives me nuts when I see if there's a technical foul or an intentional foul, um, we kick ass at having three officials or two officials surround that free throw shooter. I mean we we got the count going. We're gonna make sure he's not going to step across the line. Although recently I did see somebody actually call a violation on a free throw for a technical foul, which kind of made me shake my head. Uh, I, and I, I just I, I just wonder, especially in a situation if you if you've got uh, you know maybe some dead ball contact or some taunting happening, and there's nobody with the players. And, and I can't believe that we would, we would lose our focus so much to be uh, having three guys surround this one guy with eight guys in the backcourt with nobody paying attention to him.
1: Yeah, the fact that we have had a technical foul means that something went wrong in the game, whether it be uh, taunting and baiting, unsportsmanlike conduct, or poor behavior by somebody. So unless it's an administrative technical, there's been some problem. And to have a lead, a, a center, and a trail all watching a free-throw shooter does boggle my mind as well. Um, quite honestly, I even noticed that during regular free-throws where we've got players lined up on the, on the lane line, uh, a lot of times the trail isn't looking at the players in the backcourt. Um, even when it's two players of the same team, if, it's, if they're in the backcourt and they're across or, or near the bench for the other team, you've got to keep an eye out. So it's that game management awareness. Um, We can have the lead administer a free throw for a technical foul without anybody else there and pretty much guarantee that the free throw shooter is not going to violate. The other two officials can be back with the players. Um, And that brings me to the whole notion of understanding the situation and making sure that we're doing preventative officiating. And we're not only preventing ourselves from doing stupid stuff, We should be preventing the players from doing stupid stuff as best we can. Um, And that's incumbent upon us. That's incumbent upon us to know what's been going on in the game. What are the situations? Uh, Is it a rivalry? Um, Sometimes records don't matter. When McLean plays Langley, records don't matter. They're going to get after it uh, in a good way. Um, It's going to be packed in the gym and it's our job to make sure that as all the emotions are going high, that we're staying even keeled.
0: Yeah, and that that that's that knowing the matchup and understanding that, you know, like you said, McLean versus Langley, South Lakes and Herndon, you know, uh, Woodson and, and Lake Braddock. Uh, you know, there's just some games that it doesn't matter what the records are. The kids are going to get after it. These kids have known each other for a long time. They play against each other in the summertime, so. Uh, it, it's 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 really important that he, and you kind of touched on a couple of things like a big crowd and you know that, I think this is another game management area that I've seen us lose focus on and it's across the country too. Um, you know we got a, an email from uh, from Jed Fahlgren up in Minnesota, uh, Mankato or
1: maybe Mankato Tomato Tomato. I don't know.
0: So Jed, thanks for the email. Uh, but you know it, it, we saw this happening. Uh, I think in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, it happened here in our area. Where we ended up having a technical foul on the fans for storming the court, uh, and and there's a lot of times that you know we just rush the judgment on some things instead of paying attention, and you know if you open the rule book and the case book, you'll notice that it says that we can avoid this. You don't have to give the technical foul. So you know I would pay attention to a couple things. If the clock stopped, obviously you know they're not interfering with play. You know, uh, you know, there's not a necessary requirement for a technical foul in that situation. So we try to avoid that. But the the crowd control in general, you know, look, I, I get it. We're, we're getting yelled at for dumb stuff. You know, I can't, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stupid things yelled. You know, where the fouls are six to one in their favor and they're telling us to call it on both sides. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'll just call five more on your team. But remember, you told me to call it, you know, fairly on both sides. So, um, and, you know, between that and between, you know, stopping the game to eject fans, you know, that's what game management's for. Um, you know, we don't need to get involved in that stuff. And, and it's just getting worse and worse. We're, we're in a, a time period today where, you know, they feel like they can say anything to us. And, and, unfortunately, that's not
1: the right thing for us. And one thing I want to add to that is student fans. Um, you know, Scott, you talked earlier about how to deal with players and, and talking with them and how they become – Particularly the captains, they almost become you know, part of our crew because uh, we, you know, we talk with them and not at them. And the same thing goes for student fans. When you have an exuberant group of students at a high school basketball game, which is becoming, unfortunately, unusual these days, but when you do have them, uh, approach them before the game. Have fun with them. Talk to them. Let them know that it's okay to cheer. Um, one of the things, and, I, and I've mentioned his name many, many times, is Gene Harrison, And I know he's not listening because I'm sure he doesn't know what a podcast is. But one of the things he taught me early on was, and and I'll give you an example. McLean Langley the other night. I walked out. Student fans for Langley were great. I went up to talk to one of the kids. Who's in charge here tonight? The kid says, oh, me. I said, that's great. I said, if anybody in this section gives me any problems, I'm throwing you out. And the kid has fun. He laughs. And that's something that Gene taught me. So, again, we're establishing relationships with, with people so that they realize that we're actually a person. We're not just a, a striped shirt with as a robot. Where we are a person, we have a personality. And the important thing is that you bring your personality to the court. Um, don't become a hard ass um, if it's not your personality. Right? That's that's not something that's gonna work for you. So you gotta find what works for you and how to deal with people. But don't be over officious and don't be a dictator out there. Try to figure out a way to lead without jamming it down people's throats.
0: Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more with that. I I also think that you know knowing the matchups and knowing the matchups on the court, you know, you're going to have some kids that you know are just going to get frustrated with each other or um, the hand fighting or you know the the talking back and forth. You know, don't ignore that. That that's trouble that's brewing, and and that could end up you know, making it worse. You know, I I, I share a story with my daughter. Um, she wanted to learn how to cook spaghetti, so we're teaching her how to boil water. Um, and I told her, you know, hey, when the water gets, you know, to the top, when you see all those bubbles coming up to the top, let us know. Um, well, she didn't. She just walked away. <laughs> and that's, that's the same thing in game, game management. You can't just walk away or look away from situations where the trouble's brewing. And, you know, I think a lot of times... Um, you know, that that's a, a, a big issue for us. So, you know, if you see the, the matchups and you see that there's a problem, use the cap and use the coaches. You know, hey coach, I'm having a problem with 12 on your team and 22 on the other team. I'm going to go tell the other coach so you guys can help fix it. You know, just use that game management skill of communication with the coaches to, to really prevent some of these things from happening. So um, I saw something the other day, Adam. I, I thought, um, you know, we don't listen to our partners enough. There was a situation the other night where uh, there was a foul that occurred just as the player was getting uh, into the habitual motion to proceed the release. And for those that are non officials, that means he's getting ready to shoot. So as he's gathering the ball to go up to shoot, I'm glad you explained that because I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> well, you know what a habitual means, but um, as far as the you know gathering the shoot, and then there was a, a pushing foul against the defensive team on another player. And uh, two of the three officials uh, said, you know, hey, we, we need to count this basket because the basket did go. And the one official said no and wouldn't even listen to him, just wouldn't report it. And I think that there are some times where, you know, we can be so focused on what we think is right that we should be able to take the information. And, in, and a lot of times we're not taking that information, uh, you know, even if it's better for the game.
1: Yeah, Scott, that leads me into uh, an even broader topic of trusting your partners. Um, you've had me watch a lot of tape lately, and one of the things I've noticed is officials who are reaching well out of their area on plays they have no right even looking at, and they're getting them wrong. Trust your partners. Stay in your primary. Know when you need to go out of your primary for a quote-unquote crew call. If not, trust your partners. When we don't trust our partners, we start guessing, and we start making calls that are wrong or don't fit into the consistency of the game. And so we have to make sure that we understand what we're calling from the time the ball goes up to the time the game ends. And again, the young kids today call it cataloging, I call it consistency and making sure that we're calling it the same way on both ends of the floor and amongst the two or three officials. And that's what coaches are looking for. I think I've said before, coaches have given up, at least in high school basketball, on consistency from night to night. All they're hoping for is consistency during the game from first quarter through the fourth quarter, from one official to the other official or other officials, and on both ends of the floor.
0: You know, and, and it's funny, we talk about knowing the matchups and having a big game, but, you, you know, every game's a big game. You don't need to have Chris Jolly from NovaHoops.com or Brian and Kevin from DMV HoopCast in the crowd to know it's a big game. Now, I will say, if Matthew Hatfield shows up from the beach, it's probably a big game. Ben Simon broadcasts, you know, that guy's only at the big game. So, you know, th- those guys... You know they cover the game for a living, but every game is important, and it doesn't—they don't have to be in the stands for it to be important for us. So, especially Brian and Kevin, I—you know—I love those guys, but I mean they're at every gym, so we don't necessarily have to uh, look for them in the stands. But these games are 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 important regardless of what you have.
1: Yeah, um, Chris Jolly is our Mr. Cohen. He's always there um, for you, Seinfeld fans. Um, But I will say that, and I agree with you, Scott that game that you're referring into that night is the biggest game there is that night for why number one, because you're there number two, because it's the only game those kids are playing that night. Respect the game, respect the kids, respect the coaches. If you expect them to respect you. So I, I think this,
0: uh, you know, on game management, the, the, the other thing I wanted to cover was how to handle the aftermath. Um, and, and really, just you know, staying engaged in situations. You just had a technical foul for taunting and baiting, or you know, maybe there was a little fracas, and you had to split them up. Yeah, and and now we just kind of go back into the you know the lull of we'll just call the game the same way we did. And if if we've had a, a situation where we've had a, a potential fight or an ejection, and we we saw a situation the other night, I was there live and then watched it on video. The aftermath of how we officiate that game has to has to change. We can't go back to the way that we were officiating it before. So all antennas are up. And now it's a matter of if there's any conversation between players, taunting, stepping over somebody, um, dead ball contact. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. We we've got to handle the business. And we're missing that. And and, and it can be as small uh, as, you know, uh you know, not being engaged after the whistle um, you know, jump ball stuff, uh, you know, anything that we have, excuse me, held ball stuff for my rules interpreters, anything that we have, an opportunity where things can escalate. If we're not engaged and we don't handle business, then it can be, it can be a bad thing for everybody.
1: And Scott, that goes to one of my four C's, the concentration uh, level that we have. This time of year, district play, people jockeying for district championships, jockeying for uh, seating, rivalry games. It's a matter of our concentration level being high and maintaining it throughout the entire game particularly during dead balls. Anticipate when trouble is going to brew and prevent it from happening or at least if it does happen we know why it happened who caused it and what happened. We do not have the luxury of going to the videotape. We don't have replay so we got to see it live and the only way to do that is for us to maintain that level of concentration and making sure that we're looking in the places that we're supposed to look. I'm as laissez-faire as any other referee. I'm willing to let them play if they want to play. On the other hand, if they want to play a military action, then I can treat it like one, and I can bring the howitzer to the game too if I need to. And so as Scott was saying, if tensions escalate, and we do have particularly a taunting and baiting technical foul, then our level of intensity has to increase, and our level of tolerance has to decrease. We've got to get every little nook and cranny of that game. I had no idea you could speak French,
0: laissez faire. I have I to look that one up. But uh, oui, oui, monsieur. <laughs> before before we uh, get into the mailbag, I, I I do want to say that I, I'm I'm quite. Uh, Uh, taken aback by the number of people that have downloaded our podcast. And one of the things we get to see is where they came from. So we've got people in states all across the country. I found it interesting. We have people in Australia as well as Jamaica that have listened to our podcast. So the the first thing I want to say is, first of all, thank you. And and I appreciate you guys, at least for nothing else, finding us somewhat entertaining and maybe provide some information that, that can help you. Um, but secondly, especially for, uh, our friends in Jamaica and Australia, if, if you want us to do a live show, we're open to it, we're willing to travel, um, and we'll, we can have you on as our guests that
1: week. We're just going to need some sponsorship, uh, support for us to get there. Not necessarily get back, just to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe Brian and Kevin, I mean, those guys make good enough money with their podcast, they could probably help us out. So, um, you know, the, the last thing, uh... You know, uh, on this, uh, you know, this this, er- this area that we're focusing on is is you know, Adam talked about just staying focused and keeping uh, engaged, especially as stuff escalates. Um, I'd really like for us to, you know, when you're watching game video, um, don't just watch it to try to make yourself better. Let's let's watch it to see um, or make your you know prove your calls right. Let's let's do it with the notion of how can we get better on it. So. Um, with that, I think it's time to get in the mailbag.
1: You've got mail. I got mail. Yay! I got mail. Yay! All
0: right, so it's mailbag time, and uh, first of all, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send it to us at brickandbach at gmail.com. That's B-R-I-C-K-A-N-D-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, uh, We're the Univerton Whistle Podcast. You can find us for the, the at symbol, I-N-A-D-V underscore whistle. So the inadvertent whistle, or you just type in inadvertent whistle, you'll be able to find us. And so, Adam, I think uh, you got an email from somebody in Ohio, I believe?
1: We do. We have an email from Nick Pagisco from Ohio. He's a basketball official. And his question revolves around, what do I do when I have an inexperienced clock operator who is having trouble particularly with the keeping the time correct during the game? Geez, I think we can help them on this one. Well, I hope we can. So, Nick, thanks for the uh, email. One of the most important things that we need to do, regardless of whether our clock operator is is working well or not working well at night, is always be glancing at the clock when the ball is inbounded to make sure it starts and every time we put air in the whistle to make sure it stops. At the end of the day, that's our job. The table is in a situation where they can screw up the game for us, and we have enough Uh, opportunities to do that ourselves, so we don't need anybody else helping us with that. And so, us knowing the clock, the score, the arrow, that's incumbent upon us to know those things, so that we don't have those mistakes. I can tell you this, I honestly couldn't tell you how to fix a correctable error. I don't know. The only way I know how to fix them is to make sure I don't have them. And so, we're not going to put the ball in play if I think we're anywhere near the bonus, and I know we've had problems at the table, we're going to check before we do anything to make sure we're still at 6 and that we're not at 7. The other thing we're going to do when I've got a clock operator not functioning so well on a particular night, I'm going to go over and talk to him or her, see if I can somehow ease the tension, make their job a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, it's it's on us. We've got to continually look at the clock and fix it every single time there's a mistake. Well, as far as the
0: correctable error side thing goes, if you if you really want to listen, uh, Greg Austin, out in California, who listens to the podcast and is a friend of the show, uh, has put together some great videos on YouTube. If you look up a better official and subscribe to him, uh, any official, you'll be able to to be able to see any of that stuff. So, um, one of the things that you know that I'd like to add to this, besides the fact that we have an opportunity. Um, you know, to be better and and watch the clock and those things is um, we also got to make sure that if there's an issue, if there really is an issue, that we we share that information uh, with, you know, whoever the assigner is because they won't, they won't know, Uh, you know, here locally, Cecil is our assigner. If if Cecil doesn't know that there's an issue with the clock operator, um, you know, and, and has, uh, you know, any other uh, challenges, he's just going to continue to assign because that's, that's all he knows. But if we have some issues, we got to let him know. If, otherwise, he's, we're, we're going to continue to have the same issues. So that would be the second piece is you, you got to inform the assigners when there's potential issues or else we're not going to be able to fix that.
1: Great point, Scott. And the other thing we need to do at the game is to make sure our frustration level doesn't become apparent with the timer because he or she is doing the best they can. And in some situations, our level of intensity isn't going to help them get any better the other thing we need to do is anytime we're going to make a change to the clock or the score we need to let the coaches know we need to inform them so that they're not caught by surprise particularly if we do it during a timeout right another simple thing that we don't do very well when somebody calls a timeout at a crucial point in a game if the ball was live when they called the timeout make sure you let both benches know where the ball is going to be put in play so that when they're sitting there designing a play for a throw-in from the baseline, I'm sorry, Mike Preston, end line, um, that we don't put it on the sideline. Just make sure you inform coaches when things like that occur, particularly when you're going to go ahead and make some changes to the time or the score. And if Greg Austin, he did that great video on the long switch, Scott. Yep, absolutely. Well, if he could teach me the long switch, then he can teach anybody the long switch. Thank you, Greg.
0: <laughs> so uh, as, as, we, as we get ready to wrap up Episode 5 here, I, I do want to share that uh, in the coming months we have some great uh, guests that we're going to have. We're going to have uh, Mr. Jimmy Jones, who's the VHSL Hall of Famer, coming up. We're also going to have uh, Tommy Lopes, who's the Executive Director of IBO, uh, International Association of Approved Basketball Officials. We'll be joining us. We're going to have Scott Foster from the NBA. And we're going to reach out to some other folks uh, along the way as well. And hopefully we'll have a a great end of the the season here. Hey, Scott, will Chris Paul be on the broadcast with Scott? No, but it will be same old Scott Foster, not the regular Scott Foster. So, uh, And if anybody has seen that interview, you'll really appreciate that. But um, other than that, I I hope that you guys have a healthy rest of the year. Please don't join me on the DL because we have – you know, uh, we have enough officials that are out already. So um, my goal is to be back in early February so I can stop uh, annoying everyone by showing up at their games and watching videos and telling them what they did wrong.
1: No, you'll just start annoying the coaches whose games you'll be officiating.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's probably some truth to that, too. And by the way, I appreciate all the the, the notes from the coaches. Uh, you know, my daughter goes to a local school here at Woodson, um, which prevents me from officiating those games. Um, since coaches have found out about that we've gotten 20 emails saying can your daughter please go to our school so um, the answer is uh, no I can't wait
1: to come referee your game though. I heard there was one private school that offered her a scholarship too so that you wouldn't referee their games yeah that, 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 that was, uh, it was probably more than
0: one so anyway uh, look we want to uh, wrap up the, the show this week episode 5 we've enjoyed we wanted to make this one uh, a little bit more manageable in time for those that have uh, written in and uh, you know we want to say thanks to everybody that's listening. Please spread the word, share this, uh, retweet it when we get it on Twitter. And uh, Adam, you got the last
1: word as always. May this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day. Crash in.